lift every voice and sing? Like, could you sing it? I know the first verse. Okay. I could get us to sing a song part. No, I don't really want to go down there, but I could do the, I could do the first part. Okay. You want to do it? Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. I wasn't ready for that. Okay. Um, and I got a cold. Okay. Lift every voice and sing till I can have ring. Bring with the harmonies of liberty. Let our rejoicing rise high as the That's what I got. Sing a song full of the faith that the dark past has taught us. Sing a song full of the hope that the present has brought us. Don't leave me alone. Sing the right. We did it. We got there. We got there. <laughs> so welcome to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, this is our first episode of Black History Month 2024. And at the top of the hour, that was Lift Every Voice and Sing. Um, the lyrics were written by James Wendell Johnson. Uh, who was born in Florida in 1871 and a national organizer for the NAACP. And um, the ver the instrumental that you heard was by Art Blakey, the Black American jazz drummer and band leader. Love me some Art Blakey. Yeah. Uh, my name is Jasmine, and I'm here with my co-host, Reese. How you doing, Reese? I'm good, girl. So good to sing that song. I'm gonna have to practice a little bit more. Oh, you you sounded good. You, I mean, much better than me. You hitting actual. I was notes. like, when was the last time I sang this in assembly or something? I know, like every year where I went to school, we had an MLK Day assembly, and I used to look forward to it so much. Um, rest in peace, Miss Irene McVeigh. She was um, one of the officials at the school, and she marched with King and everything. She was very. No, on point about Black History Month, we had there was a fact every morning in the announcements. If you knew who the fact was about, you could go to the office and get a prize if you knew it. Um, and we would play that song for the assembly. So yeah, important part of our history. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So on this week's show, for the local news, we'll be talking about. Uh, the tragic death of a construction worker in Brooklyn at an illegal work site. 
for national news, we'll be discussing um, librarians who are fighting back against um, being criminalized for their work uh, in the current political climate. In world news, we'll be talking about um, an Irish nationalist being elected, being appointed uh, to be first minister in Northern Ireland. And for the good news, we are talking about... A new blood test to help in early detection of brain cancer. Okay, so to get us started, um, this is the um, a news story from The Gothamist, uh, written by David Brand and Charles Lane. The title is Should Not Have Happened. Brooklyn Building Collapse at Illegal Site Kills Worker, Officials Say. A 33-year-old construction worker was killed on the job Friday after the first floor of a two-story residential home collapsed in Borough Park, Brooklyn, as illegal work was being performed on the structure, city officials said. Fire and Buildings Department officials said three construction workers were at the site when the first floor collapsed into the cellar, pinning and killing one of the men. The others survived and officials said no other victims were discovered nearby. Police and emergency responders arrived on scene shortly after 12 p.m. Emergency medical service workers pronounced the 33-year-old dead on the scene. According to the Department of Buildings, the work at the site was being done illegally. There are absolutely no plans submitted to the Department of Buildings, so this fatality absolutely should not have happened said DOB Commissioner James Otto. They should not have been doing this work, let alone having a Bobcat construction vehicle inside the structure. Otto said the department received complaints about the site in late December and could not gain access to the home. When inspectors returned in early January, building officials issued a partial stop work order. The only work that should have been done at this site is to make the site safe, Otto said, and as you can see, that stop work order was violated. Otto stopped short of making criminal accusations, but said the fines alone could run into six figures. A police spokesperson said they would not release the deceased man's identity until notifying his family. But by 3.30 p.m., the man's family had arrived at the site and identified him as Juan Ganche saying he had immigrated from Ecuador and worked in construction since arriving in the United States 14 years ago. Carlos Gonzalez, Ganche's brother-in-law, said Ganche has three children and lived in Corona, Queens. The worker's death was the first fatality recorded at a construction site in New York City this year, according to the DOB. Department records show the property was hit with a partial stop work order for interior demolition of an occupied residential building with no permits posted in late December. Inspectors returned to the building January 4th and flagged excavation slash foundation work at a wall roughly 35 feet, 35 feet long and 12 feet high without DOB permits. The partial stop work order was still in place on Friday, according to DOB records. Court filings, building records, and tax documents list the building owner as Judah Horowitz. He did not respond to multiple phone calls seeking comment. This is the second residential building collapse in recent weeks. weeks. An apartment building partially collapsed in the Bronx in mid-December, displacing dozens of tenants. 
New York City construction site deaths reached a five-year high in 2022, according to federal data, prompting lawmakers to enact stiffer penalties on companies whose workers are killed or injured on the job. The measure was named Carlos's Law in honor of construction worker Carlos Moncayo, who was killed on a Manhattan construction site in 2015. Construction site deaths and injuries very, very rarely lead to criminal charges or convictions. Last April, a construction and management company were charged with manslaughter after a worker was crushed to death and four others were injured in the Bronx. A contractor was convicted of criminally negligent homicide in Brooklyn last May, five years after a worker was crushed by nearly eight tons of debris on the job site. Um, so yeah, I wanted to bring up this story. You know, it's really, I think it highlights the way that certain types of people and specific types of work are treated like they're disposable or like they're just, you know, a bill to pay, you know, when you do get caught doing some crap like this, but just very, very sad, did not need to happen as was stated and completely preventable. I hate hearing stories like this, like just that people's lives are not valued over material things, building, construction, you know, it for reasons that could be prevented. You know, people don't have protections in the work that they do. You imagine your lover going to work in the morning, your father going to work in the morning, just not coming home from such a tragic end. Um, it's overwhelming to think that, you know, and all of these things that go on in the media and the news and everything these, you know, people who want to be elected is talking about, none of the, none of the stories come down to things like this. You know, it's never about, it's never about people who actually build the foundations of these places and people who are actually keeping things going. It's always about stuff that no one of us understands. No one of us really cares about ultimately. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's sad. It's sad that these people go just lost in tragedy, unnamed, unthought of. So um, prayers up for his family, his community, as they are mourning this loss and all the others who have been um, hurt and killed in these acts of what I think is violence from these people who don't regulate or provi provide them the correct protections and safety measures so they can do their jobs. I mean, and I thought it was really, it was wild to read in the article, they mentioned that these things very rarely lead to any type of criminal conviction or charges. I'm like, that's, that in and of itself is criminal. You know, everything yeah. can't be about fines and you you just pay a fine. Like that's... Somebody, you measure somebody's worth through a fucking fine. That's horrible. It really and truly is. And you know 33 is really it's not a child but that's still very young especially young to pass away um yeah so much more life to live right and i don't know who originally said it but there's that expression that every safety rule and regulation is written in blood like whenever mm. you have these rules that say, you know, in this type of work environment, you have to do X, Y, Z in this type, you know, whether it's a factory construction, all these things where, or healthcare, 
all of those regulations exist for a reason because people have died and become maimed over generations from not doing the right thing. It's not right. just there to, oh, to make your life harder. Like those rules exist for a reason. And you see people constantly to try to save a buck, ignore it, and then who pays for it with their life? You know, it's true. You know, it's like not only he passed away, but this is a residential home. People could have been up in there. That's wild, man. And this happens so much. You know, this is one of the stories that made the news, but many of them don't, I bet. It's so exactly, you know, especially, you know, there's a lot of in those types of positions, like where it's a lot of physical labor. Um, you're in a, you know, it's precarious. Like there are a lot of people who are, um, might be immigrants, may or may not have papers and things like this. That's even more of a reason why some of the people who take advantage of them feel like it's not a big deal if they're cutting these corners, you know, but how many stories have we talked about in the past year on this show? Not really with construction, but stuff like, oh, the whole place went up in flames because you know, things hadn't been done correctly or someone was skimping on the inspection or something collapses. Yeah. Yeah, too many. And it's it's so sad because there's never anything done about this. That's the thing. Like we had, we say these stories, but there's never any regulations. There's never any, you know, um, major politicians or anyone trying to regulate this or put policy in place there's you know no nothing ever happens a fine is a fine but when will there actually be change um in this system this is not going anywhere you know yeah and it's like i'm not one that's like pro jail or you know you know my issues with the criminal justice system that we have but it really says something like the things that people can get locked up for, you know, like there was a woman facing jail time because she miscarried in Ohio and a nurse snitched on her claiming she thought she did something. And, you know, she's at risk of losing her freedom. You got these people doing shit like this, where people are literally being crushed to death after you were told that you couldn't have work done. That one story, eight tons of debris. Can you imagine eight tons of debris falling on somebody because you're not following rules that you were told to follow? You had warnings, you had orders not to do it, and it continues. And are these people people doing responsible for this? Are they facing any kind of jail time? That's why it no. keeps happening. You know, it's... it's- very awful but yeah prayers up for um mr ganche and his family just extremely very very sad yeah um so for our first musical break this is um the gap band out of oklahoma the lead singer uncle charlie wilson this is (laughs) and he's still out here still doing it still you know good breath control yeah. Still <laughs> I know got the you know youngish <laughs> women in the videos like okay Uncle Charlie Uncle Charlie he Uncle still Charlie. sound good too he do, I mean some of these other singers need to take notes these younger ones right <laughs> he out, he <laughs> right. out singing them right. right this is early in the morning uh, you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn we, we will be right back mm-hmm. 
provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air and allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or a one-time donation at radiofreebrooklyn.org donate. So welcome back to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And here is Reese with our national news story. This story comes from an article in the Times, New York Times. The title of the article is Cast as Criminals, Americans, Librarians Rally to Their Own Defense. As libraries become battlegrounds in the nation's cultural wars, their allies are fighting to preserve access to their collection and keep themselves out of jail or worse. During 12 years as a youth librarian in Northern Idaho, Denise Najur read to the befriended children of many backgrounds, devout or atheist, gay or straight, all were welcome until a November evening in 2021, when about two dozen teens arriving at Post Falls Library for a meeting of the Rainbow Squad encountered a commotion at the entrance. Members of a local church waved signs and images of hellfire and used a bullhorn to shout Bible verses and accusations about sin and pedophile groomers in the library. Parents had to escort the teens inside that night and the library beefed up security. But the next month, police arrested protesters outside the doors who was carrying a knife and a loaded gun. In May, 
Religious conservatives won a majority on the library board and named as its chair a member who called who had called the Rainbow Squad a sex club. Miss Najur, who created the group as a program of crafts, snacks, and conversations for LGBTQ youth and their parents, said she was told the group's funding was in danger, but she refused to disband it. They're really good kids, Miss Najur said, and it just makes no sense. It just makes me so sad that they have to go through all this hate. This is not what libraries stand for. As Americans, libraries have become noisy and sometimes dangerous new battlegrounds in the nation's culture wars. Librarians like Ms. Najur and their allies have moved from the stacks to the front lines. People who normally preside over hush sanctuaries are now battling groups that demand the mass removal of books and seek to control library governance. Last year, more than 150 bills in 35 states aimed to restrict access to library materials and to punish library workers who do not comply. We're no longer seeing a parent have a conversation with a teacher or a librarian about a book their child is reading, said Deborah Caldwell-Stone, the director of the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom. We're seeing partisan groups demand the removal of books that they're told are bad books, that they are not even reading because they do they don't meet the political or moral agenda. Act activists say that say they are protecting children from sexually explicit material and exploitation, while conservative politicians seek to harden the bans into policy. Project 2025, the Heritage Foundation's 900-page ideological blueprint for the potential second Trump administration declares in its opening pages that pornography manifested today in the omnipresent propagation of transgender ideology and sexualization of children should be stripped of First Amendment protections and outlawed. These people who produce and distribute it should be imprisoned. Educators and public librarians who purvey it should be classed as registered sex offenders, the document says. The battles are being waged in places like Clinton, Tennessee, where a reluctant library ally and local sheriff spoke out against censorship. In Pella, Iowa, two women organized a successful campaign against a proposal to force the town library under city control. As in Idaho, after Ms. Najor received an award for her work with the Rainbow Squad, people threatened her life and posted her family members' personal information online. What is explicit and subjective? I'm sorry, what is explicit is, is subjective. Sheriff Russell Barker had a problem. As the chief law enforcement officer for Anderson County in the mountains of Eastern Tennessee, he had handled narcotics, assault, and other criminal investigations, not the review of children's books about sex and gender identity. But this past year, after residents found what they said were more than a dozen pornographic titles in the country's four libraries, in the county's four libraries. Local officials asked the sheriff to determine whether two of the targeted titles violated Tennessee's obscenity law. If so, librarians, staff, or board members, and the sheriff told officials he didn't know who, might be subject to arrest. Every one of the books appeared on the list by booklogs.org, a Florida-based organization that reviews books for descriptions of sex, violence, or other content it deemed unacceptable for children. Its conclusions have become a resource for people challenging books in public schools and libraries. Ms. Caldwell Stone calls book looks part of a well-coordinated, well-funded campaign.
Emily Maquish, the Florida parent who founded Book Looks, said it is a volunteer group that accepts no outside money. And ultimately, our ratings are our opinions, she wrote in an email. We encourage folks using our material to make their own determination. The two books given the sheriff's the two books given the sheriff for review were Let's Talk About It, A Teen's Guide to Sex, Relationships, and the Human and Being a Human by Erica Moen and Matthew Nolan, and Gender Queer, a 2019 graphic novel, graphic novel style memoir by Maya Kobade, that is the most banned book in the United States. The author who is non-binary, explores puberty and sexual identity in the book, which includes some drawings of nudity and sexual scenarios. These books were brought to the county commission and we had an obligation to act. A county commissioner, Denise Palmer, said in the commission meeting last spring in the county seat, Clinton, a town of 10,000, about 15 miles from Knoxville. I felt like they may teeter on the law. Controversy was not new to Clinton, the site of the first high school in the South to be integrated by court order in 1956 in compliance with the Supreme Court's decision two years earlier in Brown versus Board of Education. In 1958, up to 100 sticks of dynamite planted in the high school reduced it to rubble. No one injured, no one was injured, no one was arrested. While Anderson County is still mostly white, residents say it is different now. With liberal transplants attracted by the growing tech sector encompassing the former Manhattan Project site of Oak Ridge, but change has again be brought backlash, including from some Christian conservatives. In late March, more than 250 people packed the Clinton Community Center for a charged public meeting recorded on video. It happened to be on the same day that three children and three adults died in a mass shooting in the Covenant School in Nashville. Police said the shooter identified as transgender, some who spoke in the meeting were further upset by the tragedy. There's more to the article. I think I'm gonna stop right there. Um, this is quite concerning um, for many reasons, particularly how the people who are organizing these sort of safe spaces for these young people and their parents are being attacked, um, being personified to be criminal and ultimately um, you know, being in the face of danger just by sim simply trying to preserve what happens in a library, which is knowledge and community. And regardless of anything at all, they should be treated as humans and not criminals for what they're trying to do to organize safe spaces for people. Yeah, like I, you mentioned this as something that um, you know is in my wheelhouse and it definitely is. And it's this has been happening for years now and there's been like a really aggressive surge in this type of um like targeting of libraries in particular um a lot of times school libraries but also public libraries and um it's extremely frightening you know because people that are really committed to these regressive repressive ideologies like they're willing to do violent things because of these um their you know bigoted beliefs so i i don't know i just it, it kind of fills me with a lot of dread <laughs> and even though yeah you know, there are things that you can do to fight back like it's, especially if you go to um ala.org they have a page on their website oh that's the american library association's website 
Uh, they do have sections that are specifically about protecting intellectual freedom and fighting censorship. So, you know, it is something where people need to tap in and, you know, pitch in to know what's happening on the local level because these groups, they they know about the library board and how to get on the school board and they're organized and they coordinate these attacks. And then when it happens, a lot of the people who are against what they believe, they're blindsided. They don't know, they don't see it coming because they're not aware and they're not involved. Had you heard about Project 2025? I have, yeah. I have. Yeah, I think, I think that was something important from this article that people should definitely look into. Um, this is a 900 page document that's supposed to be intact in order if Trump is reelected. Uh, they've been building this document since he was in office the first time. And so all of the progressive movement to get him back on the ticket is surrounded about by the many things that happen in this document. And it's some old antiquated bullshit <laughs> gets down to some things that will really change the scope of this country and take us back to a place that none of us were alive to see uh, outside of the elders. But, um, you know, I just definitely want to, one, just send a shout out to librarians across the world because it's one of those, um, I think it's one of those positions that people don't realize is such an important uh, aspect of the community. Um, I remember going to the library all the time when I was a kid, at least once a week. And even when I was in college, you know, it was a good place to go feel safe and go study and just be. But, you know, ultimately, as they continue to ban literature and books and safe spaces for people to consume knowledge, the library is the place where people have always been able to go to get it. You know, it's one thing to ban it in the classroom. And I'm not saying that I agree with that at all. Um, but to ban it in a library, a space where people go for knowledge, a space where people go to exchange information, learn about it. Um, I just, it's just over the top in a whole nother way. Where will this information be? We can't trust everything that's online, as you all know. So I just always think of the library as a safe space for the community where people can really go and, you know, better themselves. I remember times when I didn't, when I first moved to New York and I needed to go to the library to use a computer to figure things out. You know, I just feel like it's one of those lost places in society that people don't give enough acknowledgement to. And the people who uh, keep these institutions open and keep them running, you know, it's just a group of people who are committed to having that um, space for people and that uh, place to absorb knowledge. So anyway, I thought this was an important story for many reasons, but you know, the thought that these people are, their lives are in danger for making the safe space for people to talk about issues that they need to talk about. It's just really sad that they become victims just by holding space and keeping space. Right. And I know um, most of the focus in a lot of these articles that are covering this phenomenon, a lot of the focus is on um, places in the South and places in um, the Midwest, places that are often, um, that come to mind when you think of right wing conservative, all of this. However, these chapters of these groups that have these goals exist all throughout the country, including in mm -hmm. places like New York. Um, in my At my local library branch, they received a bomb threat because they had had a drag queen story hour. Um, and I there was an episode that we did um, 
I think you weren't on the show at the time, but like a friend in, of mine and me had gone to support a drag queen story hour just to be on the outside to be like a welcoming presence because there mm-hmm. it was known that there would be aggressive people outside saying really horrific thing like it was very i'm glad that i went because you have to see it for yourself but you know these were people that were saying very violent aggressive things in a big group outside of a building in queens new york city not rural New York. So don't fool yourself into thinking that, oh, my neighborhood's not like that. You don't know who's showing up at these things and what lengths they're willing to go to to try to force everyone into their narrow idea of what is and what shouldn't be. You know, you're talking about blowing up a building that you know parents bring their little kids. People like that, listen, when they say that type of stuff, take them seriously. Yep. Cause it's happened, and I, you know, I could definitely see it happening again. We see what's going on with all these people showing up with guns, shooting up the place. Like, I don't know. So really, get involved with your local library. Uh, Bookriot.com, B-O-O-K-R-I-O-T.com is a good store, a good website that you know, keeps up with these types of things and gives some advice on what you can do as an individual. But we definitely have to stay vigilant and stay on top of these stories and take action. Absolutely. And I just want to, I forgot in the beginning to um, give credit to the author of this article. Her name is Elizabeth Williamson. Okay. Well, thank you for that uh, sobering um, na- national news story, uh, recent and very important issue. Um, mm-hmm. You are listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our next musical break, this is Curtis Mayfield with Right On for the Darkness. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Also, please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming Radio Free Brooklyn events. You can sign up at radiofreebrooklyn.org forward slash newsletter. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And for our world news story, um, we're going to be talking about a development in Northern Ireland. And before we get into the article, I just wanted to give a little bit of background. So like any issue that we discuss on this show, especially the world issues, like these conflicts and, you know, different political situations, like the history goes back hundreds, if not thousands of years. So I encourage you to all um, look up more on your own, but just some brief background. Uh, So as we know, Ireland is like, it's an island, but it's currently made up of two separate countries at the moment. Uh, English and later British rule of the entire island of Ireland began in the Middle Ages. The Anglo-Normans invaded the island for the the English king in the 12th century or in the 1100s. Uh, So they have been under uh, British control for hundreds of years. Um, in 1919, Sinn Féin, S-I-N-N-F-E, uh, with a acute accent, I-N, uh, which means we ourselves in Irish Gaelic, uh, which is an Irish national nationalist or Republican party, declared themselves the parliament of an Irish republic. Uh, 1919 is also the year that the IRA or the Irish Republican army was formed. Uh, So in this context, the nationalist or Republican means that they want all of Ireland to be an independent from England country unified together. They don't want it to be separated. Um, Britain partitioned the island in 1920 with separate parliaments in the mostly Protestant Northeast and a predominantly Catholic South and Northwest. However, uh, the Republicans or the Nationalists were against this, and in 1922, the Irish Free State was formed. Shortly after the Irish Free State was formed, the Northeast, so the predominantly Protestant Northeast um, part of Ireland, or Northern Ireland, withdrew and accepted self-governance within the United Kingdom. In 1949, Ireland left the British Commonwealth and became a republic, but still to this day, Northern Ireland is a part of the United Kingdom. So its currency is the pound sterling. Um, It was a part of the EU at some point, Um, but in Ireland, the Republic of Ireland is the southern part of the island is a separate country as of right now. Uh, So this information comes from Reuters. The title of the article is Northern Ireland Appoints Irish Nationalists as First Minister in Historic Shift. This was written by Amanda Ferguson and Natalie Thomas on February the 3rd. Northern Ireland's Parliament appointed an Irish Nationalist as First Minister for the first time on Saturday, a historic milestone in a state established a century ago 
to ensure the dominance of pro-British Unionists. Uh, so the Unionists want for uh, Northern Ireland to remain a part of the United Kingdom. Uh, and as an aside, the First Minister and Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland are the joint heads of government uh, since 1998, and they have equal authority. So the Deputy First Minister doesn't, isn't beneath the First Minister like they're on equal footing. Michelle O'Neill's appointment, the delayed result of a watershed 2022 election, is the latest sign of the rise in the British region of a Sinn Féin party that has said its ultimate dream of united Ireland is within touching distance. This is a historic day which represents a new dawn, said O'Neill, age 47, to the assembly. I will serve everyone equally and be a first minister for all. I am sorry for all the lives lost during the conflict without exception, O'Neill added. Britain's minister for the region, Chris Heaton-Harris, said the restoration of the government represented a great day for Northern Ireland. O'Neill represents a shift to a new generation of Sinn Féin politicians not directly involved in the region's decades-long bloody conflict between Irish nationalists seeking a united Ireland and pro-British Unionists wanting to remain in the United Kingdom. As the former political wing of the Irish Republican Army, or IRA, Sinn Féin was long shunned by the political establishment on both sides of the border. It is now the most popular party in the Irish Republic. The post of Deputy First Minister, which has equal power but less symbolic weight, was taken up by DUP's Emma Little Pendley. Um, there was, and there is some opposition uh, to this appointment. Uh, there was heavy security around the assembly building, but there wasn't any sign of trouble. Uh, opposition to O'Neill's appointment was led by the traditional Unionist Voice Party, which has also rejected the DUP's trade deal. And the DUP is the Democratic Unionist Party, and the TUV is for Traditional Unionist Voice. We have a Sinn Féin First Minister, but not in my name, nor in the name of thousands of Unionists who will never bow the knee to IRA Sinn Féin, TUV's single deputy Jim Allister said. While Sinn Féin has this week talked up the prospect of unity, all politicians in Northern Ireland are under intense pressure to deliver on bread and butter issues after the two-year hiatus piled pressure on already stretched public services. A referendum on unity is at the discretion of the British government, and opinion polls consistently show a clear majority in favor of remaining part of the United Kingdom. Uh, so I'm going to stop there for now, but I encourage people to read up the rest of this article on Reuters, but also, you know, just to educate yourself about the history of um, this region, because it's, um, it's unique, it's, it's very interesting, and clearly like a long-standing issue. So um, I'm kind of surprised to see that uh, they have a, an Irish nationalist first minister um, and interested to see where this goes in the near future. I feel like the whole landscape of the, the globe as we know it has changed so much 
um, over this past year and the last few elections, like, have really shifted the tides in a lot of countries. Um, it would be interesting to see if it does unite and actually, you know, shifts how power is regulated over in the EU. So many things happen over there so many times. It's like, I don't know who's a part of it and who's not anymore. The um, United, <laughs> the European Union? Yeah, like the EU. It's like so many shifts here, there and then back and then away and then back, like, um, you know, it's just sometimes it's hard to keep up with, but it's interesting to see that they've elected someone who does want to unify the country and what that will do as far as its relationship with the UK as a whole. Um, definitely interested. I didn't know all the background information of Ireland either. So it was interesting to hear how Northern and Southern Ireland is, you know, not necessarily unified, but may become one, may become, um, under this administration. Be interesting yeah. to see what what they stand on and what's most important to them. I mean, I have been to Ireland. I I was in Dublin a few years ago for a few days, oh. and I, it was a nice trip. Like I had a really nice time, and it's um, it is like I've always been interested in like the history of like the troubles and you know because there's been like it, it was mentioned um in the article but in other and also um like the encyclopedia britannica or any like history book you read like it's been so many years of conflict and struggle and you know mm-hmm. looking at it from like an american perspective especially being a black person sometimes like these types of intense conflicts with between other groups where everyone kind of is this like everyone's like the same race but the Mm -hmm. differences are things like where you go to church and stuff like that i'm like wow like how how do i was like wow how do they even know like who the enemy is but they have there's ways you know that go back very long of like knowing who's a part of your group who's outside of the group like who's your enemy who isn't you know, because, you know, people lost their lives, have been in prison for many years, like fighting to try to bring about the whole island to be together again. So yeah. it's, it's, it's surprising. I mean, I, they are saying that there's still a lot of people who do want Northern Ireland to stay in the United Kingdom, according to opinion polls. But I mean, we'll see, you know, only time will tell. And the British are everywhere splitting up countries, partitioning them. Like, look what they did with India and Pakistan. It's like some English guy, like, puts a line down and says, y'all go here, y'all go there, and then it's warfare for generations. So, you know, anytime that is, you know, we see movement away from that, and at least these things are happening, you know, with political appointments and discussions and agreements like that's definitely a step forward instead of you know people having to lose their lives or lose their freedom yeah right that's a really good point yeah so i mean that was a a bit of good news or it seems sounds like good news to me or an encouraging development but um you have even more good news for us right i do i do this uh story comes from positive news positive.news.com um and it's a quick story but it's a good one brain cancer blood test a breakthrough scientists have developed a simple blood test that could offer early diagnosis for glial brain tumors in future in the future improving patient outcomes 
Brain tumors are the deadliest form of cancer for children and adults under 40. Identifying them early is key to boosting survival rates, but many tumors go undetected for too long. The trinetroglial blood test could change that. It works by isolating tumor cells that have broken free from the tumor and are circulating in the blood. The cells are then stained and can be identified under a microscope. The test was pioneered by scientists at the Brain Tumor Research Center of Excellence at Imperial College London. Experts said that patients could benefit from the technology in as little as two years. A non-invasive, expensive, I'm sorry, a non-invasive, inexpensive method for the early detection of brain tumors is critical for improvements in patient care, said Imperial College's Dr. Neela Ford Said. Through this technology, a diagnosis is inaccessible, of inaccessible tumors can become possible through a risk-free and patient-friendly blood test. So this is great news. Um, I hope that they can bring this innovation before two years. But nonetheless, you know, the demographic for brain tumors and brain cancer is, you know, children and people under 40. So this is a really important improvement um, in the study of cancer as a whole. And I think that the more that they, you know, activate this type of testing, maybe it can move to other parts of the body that could be affected by um, cancer or tumors or like that, you know, because when the brain is probably the most important part of the body to be affected. And most of the time when people are dying from cancer, once it reaches their brain, that's kind of the fatal point of impact. Right. Um, yeah. So it's, sometimes if it doesn't start in the brain, it's the last place for it to go. So, you know, this could be a wonderful improvement um, in health. And hopefully, since it's inexpensive, that can be, you know, shared with medical facilities all over the world could be a great thing i know and i like that it mentioned inexpensive because that's i remember we had a story um not that long ago was talking about like a a potential cure for sickle cell disease but it would Mm -hmm. cost so much money it's like well it might as well not exist if it's going to be that inaccessible you know but it's that's the key like it's inexpensive accessible and early detection because, yeah. you know, you're absolutely right. Like a lot of these things, once it gets to the point where you're having symptoms or they're able to see it on it's a scan, too. it's been too long or, you know, your chances are very slim. So, yeah, it's a great development. And I definitely hope it expands to other um, chronic and often deadly ailments. Exactly. So shout out to the UK for this one. <laughs> London specifically, London town specifically. Yeah, and like I'm looking at some of the the pictures of the people in um in this article. I see uh, Nellofor Syed, so someone who's um I'm not sure exactly of her background, but she's a non-white person. You know, like the UK is responsible for all so many Independence Days around the world because they went and started messing <laughs> up everybody's shit. But, you know, with and that's why they have, you know, like in the U.S., you have people from all over the world that live there and, you know, they contribute and make it um, make it their home and make a lot of contributions like to science, to medicine, to the culture, to the food and everything. So um, shout out to them for that, uh, for the immigrants and their descendants. Um. 
So you have been listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more community-based Brooklyn radio. And once again, happy Black History Month. Black history is every day. It's American history. And, you know, we also want to acknowledge, you know, Black doesn't just mean African-American. You know, the African diaspora is strong and it's global. Um, That's right. So for our last song of the day, this is our Capricorn queen, Auntie Mary J. Blige with MJB, the MVP featuring 50 Cent. Bye, everybody. Bye, y'all. 91, I stepped in this game. After what's the 411, things ain't been the same, and I can't complain. But with all this fame comes a whole lot of pain. But I'm so glad to be here, and my music's still sincere. Let's get back to the story, all of this pain and glory. And 94 was my life, and my life wasn't right. So I reached out to you and told you what I've been through. Here are the underdogs on top. And I'm gonna shine on me until my heart stops. Go ahead and be me. I'm a soldier, my queen, and I ain't going nowhere, but you already know me. Here are the loving underdogs on top. And I'm gonna shine on me until my heart stops. Go ahead and be me. I'm a soldier, my queen, and I ain't going nowhere, but you already know me. And I came with shit, my world. But at that point, I was just a foolish girl trying to find.